Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive Okay. Uh, today is Thursday, April 6, 2017. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 2, and we are on page 23, Paragraph 2. Today's readers are on the 12 Steps, Penzen P. On the 12 Traditions, Julie F. And reading the text are Charlene G. and Adini M. The reference numbers for Wednesday, April 5th, are at 7 a.m. 9798 and 10 a.m. 9800. That's 9798 and 9800. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tenzin P. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. 
Thank you, Tenton. I will now ask Julie S. to read the 12 traditions. Please press star one to unmute. Julie, we can't hear you. Hi, everybody. Can I be heard? Yes, can you can. Heard? Okay, great. Yes. Hi, good morning. This is Julie S. from Florida. Thank you so much for your service. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in manners affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much for this opportunity, and I pass. Thank you, Julie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We are in chapter two on page 23, the second paragraph. I will ask Charlene G to begin reading. Good morning, it's Charlene G from Idaho. Once in a while, he may tell the truth and the truth strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took the first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. 
There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they are down for the count. How true this is, few realize. In a vague way, their families and friends sense that these drinkers are abnormal, but everybody, hopefully, awaits the day when the sufferer will rouse himself from his lethargy and assert his power of will. The tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. He has lost control at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic. He passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Wow, this is such a great section of text that we're studying right now. Um, I am Charlene G. I'm a compulsive over recovered compulsive overeater, and I am the real thing. Like it says here, the foodaholic, the compulsive overeater. I'm the real deal, and I lost the power of choice every time I would pick up, and I did not know that there was an explanation. I just baffled, battled, battled, battled for so many years this willpower thing, and beat myself up because I thought everybody else had willpower but me. But I don't know if I ever really had the willpower. I, I, I knew right from wrong, and yet I could not, could not manage my relationship with food. Um, so I, I heard this lecture one time from a gentleman who was trying to prove that the, the, the disease brain, talking about the disease brain, that it really is that disease. And um, he explained, and this is just something that fascinates me as far as the academics of it all. Here it is, you know, 70 plus 80 maybe years ago, we've got this information from these gentlemen. But this lecture proposed that when we, when I picked up the frontal cortex, that part of my brain that knew right from wrong, had good judgment, even the place where I make my connection with God, would shut down, shut off, and that my midbrain, the pleasure portion of my brain, would pick up, would, would take over. And they've even said that you can see this in an MRI. And I just think it's so fascinating to make these connections of here on this text, on this page of the big book, I have the truth that tells me that one bite, one picking up will um, send me on a bender, and um, it becomes more powerful. And I'm no longer to choose right from wrong. I've lost that ability. And the other piece that I wanted to comment on was the suffering. I know each of us in this room understands what true suffering is when it comes to our disease. And I'm just so grateful that there's a relief, there's an answer, there's a solution. And I'm grateful that these words do provide me with some truth that sets me free. And I am free on a daily basis. I no longer want to pick up. And I'm not battling this constant fight with willpower and as long as I'm working in my program to be spiritually fit I get that reprieve I'm so grateful for each of you and for this program and this and I with this I pass thank you so much Charlene okay who would like to comment uh we're on page 23 we started with 
the paragraph once in a while, and then we, we read three more paragraphs, and we will focus our comments on the second, third, and fourth paragraph. Okay, Chris, Larry, Nessa yeah. R. Nessa R. Okay, I got you, Nessa R. Larry K. Chrissy G. I got you guys. I got Lisa Kim B. G. And Lisa Harry B. Melissa C. Kathy C. Vasa. Okay, oh. wait a second. Wait a second. I got you four, but let me do them. Okay. It's like a memory test. Okay, Harlan G. Um, Harlan G. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm brainless. Vasa. Oh, O. There were two others, and now I just got Monica T. Melissa C. Melissa C. S. And there was someone before Melissa C. Okay, we're going to go with these. I'm sorry if, if that other person it may come to my mind. Um, okay, we have Chrissy G., Larry K., Nessa R., Kim G., Lisa B., Harlan G., Vasa O., Monica T., Melissa C., and Leah F. Did I miss anyone? Okay, let's go with Chrissy G., please, followed by Larry K. Chrissy, you need to press star one to unmute, please. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay, hi. Good morning. It's Chrissy, recovered in New Jersey. Um, the, the last share was great about the science of the brain, and I've heard similar. I've heard similar things, and it makes it makes such good sense, and I, I love science, so it's really helpful for me. I I also see it behaviorally without getting an MRI, that that truth. And for me, and I'll speak for myself, I, I um, see my immaturity when I first came in the program, how there was no discipline in, in my mind. I went straight to disappointment. I work with children, so, you know, I can see the parallel with my own behavior. Straight from disappointment to wanting to feel better. Uh, there was no maturity there, no no wait time, no hang time to wait for things to work themselves out. Um, even even later on, you know, I have to say, you know, it was a slow maturing process because even later on when I was able to um, not go straight to the food when something went wrong, what I would do is I would try to force solutions. So I would I would say, okay, well, I'm not going to the food, but I'm going to do A, B, and C, and A, B, B and C better work out or I'm going to the food. You know, so it was it was a slow progression towards powerlessness and the the understanding the the maturity it takes to understand that there's just so much I'm in control of and responsible for, and that there's just so much peace and and um, ease that I am entitled to in this life. It, it's I. I um, used to think that I was entitled. That was my normal state. I used to think that that was the normal living state, to be in comfort and ease. And a lot of people out there are really aware that that's not the truth. So, you know, it's nice to come to it at 47, you know, better late than ever. But I'm really, really grateful for this program and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Chrissy. Okay, Larry Kay, you're up, followed by Nessa R. Good morning, Katie. Can you hear me all right? Yes, great. 
Okay, good. Thank you for your service. Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Um, you know, I, I was baffled indeed. And, um, you know, the thing about it was was that I didn't understand the, the true nature of my problem. And I kept trying to seek out a physical solution, physical in the sense of some external thing that I could employ in which to solve my problem. And that's what we do. We continue to search. So for me, here's a physical solution, liposuction surgery. How about two of them? It didn't work. It didn't work for my spiritual problem. A geographic solution, a new job, a new relationship, two broken marriages, it didn't work. These are all external physical solutions. See, here's the thing for me, and I like science too. I work um, in a field in which we utilize science, and I'm a lover of science. This, this problem I have, <laughs> it's not about science. It never was. There's nothing about it. There's nothing that one can see. If, if someday we could see on a functional magnetic resonance imaging the distinction between a compulsive overeater who has the twofold nature of this illness with the spiritual malady, which I do, versus someone who doesn't, that'd be a heck of a thing. But I don't believe we will be able to, to do that. That's my opinion. Because this was never a physical problem for me personally when I continue to see it that way or to continue continue to frame it in in that the only detriment to me with that is that I will continue to seek out a, a physical solution possibly but I have great curiosity certainly like anyone else and I do love science but it's not a science problem it was a spiritual malady I know that today because once I employed this spiritual solution the spiritual toolkit laid at my feet and I worked these steps in sequence. Something happened. Something happened to me. I was inwardly restructured. I couldn't prove it to you, nor do I have any great desire to prove it to anyone. But I, I know that something was changed within me, that a power greater than me, you know what that power did among many things is, is remove that obsession. With obsessions gone. So today, I am sober. I am abstinent happily. It's raining, it's cloudy, it's stormy here in Chicago. I don't know what storms may come in my life today. They'll visit me, but I'm abstinent happily. I'm not fighting for one more day because the spiritual spiritual problem has been solved. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Okay, Nessa R., you're up, followed by Kim G. Hi, um, this is Nessa R., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. We have lost the power of choice in drink. Uh, what this tell me, tells me is that I am powerless. And I am powerless because once I put my alcoholic ingredients, my alcoholic foods, or I indulge in my alcoholic behaviors, I don't know when or how or if I will be able to stop. And so how does that admission of powerlessness that I, that I um, conclude um, with in step one uh, is man- manifested in my behavior? And I use an analogy with fire. I am fa- powerless over fire. I cannot control the consequences of, let's say, putting my hand in a, in, in a flame, like the analogy that's used in the, in the big book in a couple of places. You know, so what do I do? I just don't put my hands in fire. I don't want to get burned. I know that I'm powerless over fire. I cannot control the consequences, so I just don't go there. Um, the, um, 
you know, it's the same thing with food. I know that I am powerless over potato chips and cheesecake and leftovers. So I just don't go there. I just don't put my hands in it. And, you know, by the grace of God in the recovered state, that is, um, you know, a fairly easy thing to do because the position, the food is in a position of neutrality and I'm not even tempted. And when I tempt, and I'm tempted, I recall from it from a hot flame. But what do I do before I'm recovered? What do I do uh, between the time when I actually put down all those foods and ingredients and behaviors and the time that I get recovered? You know, the first thing to do is I need to get to the steps very quickly because, you know, even though I'm abstinent, my mind is still going to tell me it's okay. It's okay to, to, to put my hands in those foods. It's okay to put my hands in the flame because this time I will not get burned. And of course, that's a lie, which I am going to believe because I am not recovered. So I need to work the steps um, outlining the big book as quickly as I possibly can. And, you know, I think I find that this is where I find the tools very useful to immerse myself in the tools while I work the steps, you know, to speak to recovered people, to listen to a lot of meetings with a lot of recovery like, like this one, you know, to, um, um, to do service, to like anything that I can do in order to, to not become, because that, that interim period is very uncomfortable, but it's very, very crucial because if I keep picking up, I keep going back to the beginning. And what I need to remember is I am as powerless over the consequences of picking up those foods as I am over the consequences of putting my hand in the fire. And I just, and I just got to do whatever it takes in order not to do that so that I can become recovered through the work of the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nessa. Kim G, you're up, followed by Lisa B. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Well, this, this paragraph, I have to tell you, when I really became a student of the big book and saw this paragraph, I was very uncomfortable. I was anxiety-ridden. But ultimately, I felt relief. This is the paragraph that told me I'm a real compulsive overeater, and I'm not a bad person. You see, what this is telling me is I've lost the power of choice. I am unable at certain times. I cannot do it with sufficient force, and I'm without defense. That's my reality. You know, and I, we talk a lot about stuff that happens before our life, but I, have to, I just want to share my experience in Overeaters Anonymous. Let me tell you what this paragraph says, and let's compare this to personally what I heard in the room. I was told to look out for halt, being too hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I was told to drink. Don't drink no matter what. I was told to don't eat, go to meetings. I was told to remember my last binge. I was told to avoid people, places, and things. I was told to play the tape, tape, play the tape through. I was told to avoid my triggers. I was told today, choose not to eat. Heck, Nancy Reagan told me, just say no. And those are good game plans if you're not the real compulsive overeater, because this is telling my, me my reality. At certain times, I'm not going to be able to do that. So that explains to me when I was employing human aid, and basically my game plan was fear and the fellowship, it would work at certain times. At certain times, phone calls would work. At certain times, they wouldn't. At certain times, getting a new sponsor would work. At certain times, it didn't. At certain times, going to a meeting would work. At certain times, it wouldn't. 
I would just change sex of OA. We have a lot of subsets. I, well, maybe if this sex isn't working, I'll go to that sex. Or there's actually 17 food fellowships for food besides Overeaters Anonymous. I'm going to bounce around there trying to control and enjoy my eating. And this is the paragraph that tells me I cannot do that. So my personal experience, I want to say at certain times, to me it's like playing Russian roulette. You know, I have a gun, it's got six chambers, I have one gun in the chamber, and I'm willing to pull that trigger because there's a five-in-one chance I'm going to be able to get away with it. But the insanity is, as my disease progresses, there's now five bullets in the chamber, only one empty chamber. But I don't know what else to do. So I'm still pulling that trigger over and over and over, and the consequences are getting worse and worse because I don't understand that I have lost the power of choice. I don't understand that I'm unable at certain times to do this. I don't understand that I cannot bring sufficient force, and I do not understand that I am without defense against the first strike. This paragraph was the key to freedom for me, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Okay, let's have Lisa B. followed by Harlan G. Good morning. This is Lisa B. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. Lisa B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. When I read this um, reading this morning, it says the tragic truth. Well, if I didn't see that tragic truth, if I didn't accept that tragic truth, I wouldn't be able to proceed forward. I needed to be out of ideas. That's a devastating moment for me. But on the other side of that, you know, is such freedom and happiness. I've been told since I was little that the truth will always set me free. I've craved this message of depth and weight. I just never had anyone around me to tell me the truth, the truth of my nature of this malady. I went to meetings. I've gone to AA meetings trying to get help for my eating, but I needed to meet someone in whom the problem had been solved, you know, that can help me see the true nature of my, my disease. You know, I had sugar down for a number of years. And But that monster, that tsunami was still rising up inside of me. And I kept thinking, why? You know, the sugar is down. Why? Why do I still feel like this horrible rope is around my neck ready to pull me down? I was not clear in what the true nature of my malady was. I was not set free. I needed to get clear on that last link in what this true nature that is um, holding me, the nature of my disease. And, you know, the other thing that comes to me when we read it, the fact. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice. And, again, you know, until I could see that, I could not go forward. And that word fact um, brings up to me in the other great fact that we read at the end of this meeting. It says, this is the great fact for us. And he's talking about their experiences, the first 100 people that have experienced this great fact. And that is, see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. Over and over, this book tells me it's not about human power. It's not about fixing from the outside, you know, getting a new husband, a new job, a new this, a new that, um, a new self-help book. It's, it's really an inside job. I needed to get entirely abstinent and work these steps to get unblocked. And then it tells me that I will then feel as though I've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I have not even sworn off. So it's not the willpower. So with that, I pass. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Lisa B. Harlan G., you're up, followed by Vasa O. Thank you very much, Katie, and thank you to Team Thursday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. When I was about two years old, it was uh, Sabbath, and there was some candles burning in my home. And I took my finger, and there's, there's a little fluid of wax. There's this little buildup of wax at the base of the wick. And I wanted to see, I guess, what, was, what it felt like. And I stuck my finger in there, and I screamed bloody murder. And my mom and dad calmed me down. And my brain that day, 60 years ago, registered something that it has never let go of. Hot, bad, hot, danger, no hot, no hot. And any time I have burned myself since that day has 100% been by accident. I have never deliberately put my hand on a hot candle since that day. Because where my brain functions normally when it comes to too hot, too sharp, cutting, whatever, my brain does not function normally when it comes to the danger of food. And later on in the big book, we're going to be taught that that is the mental blank spot. The mental blank spot is the built-in forgetter. I can only focus in on what the food will do for me, and I am unable to focus in on what the food will do to me. I have never got up in the morning and said, you know, I think I'll stick my hand in a fireplace to see if it will burn me this time. But I have eaten food that I knew was killing me again and again and again. I love it when people come in and say, food is my drug of choice. They must be different than me. Food is my drug of no choice. Because if I could have chosen whether or not to eat food, I would have chosen not to eat it when I was three or four years old. I cannot rise myself from my lethargy and assert my power of will where food is concerned. I have a mental twist that drives me irresistibly into the food. I have a physical allergy that makes it impossible for me to stop once I've started, and a mental blank spot which eradicates any memory of what the food does to me and can only focus in on what that food is going to do for me. I am not like other people. And it says the tragic truth that if the man be a real alcoholic, which I am when it comes to food, the happy day may not arrive. No kidding. He has lost control at a point in the drinking of every alcoholic. He passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. The tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. There was nothing I wanted more than to stop eating. But the fact of the matter is I wanted Oreo cookies. All I wanted to be was thin, but all I wanted to do was eat because that food was doing something for me that only the steps could replace. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Harlan. Vasa O, you're up, followed by Monica T. Thank you. Thank you, Katie, for your service. And I am grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater calling from Florida. And that was me. I lost control over the food before I came to Overeaters Anonymous, even a few years before. And I remember being so terrified. I remember saying, oh, my God, I just cannot stop. I cannot put the food down. And I'm getting bigger and bigger and physically, like, I was beginning to develop, um, like, on the borderline, diabetes, high blood pressure. And uh, I was really getting afraid because my mom died from this disease, and uh, I just could not, you know, I did try to control it. It's not like I didn't. Believe me, I did. tried everything I could in my own power, my own will, but it could not stop. And, again, I lost all the power, and I'm just so grateful that I was led into Overeaters Anonymous, and I was introduced to the big book. But my memories, going back as a child, I remember my mother giving us sugar, like in a teaspoon, like if we had a tummy ache, if we were sick or something. And that made me feel good. I liked that sugar. Then there was another time I remember... Um, my mother had gone somewhere, and we left with my little brother. Maybe my aunt that lived downstairs, and uh, she made a pot of beans for dinner or something. Well, my brother and I took the sugar down from the shelf up there, and we poured half of the sugar in the beans. And we, when it tasted, it did not taste good because it was mixed up with the with the beans. We didn't want to eat it. You know, I we wanted the craving. I wanted the the sugar high that my mother would give me with a with a teaspoon. I had no clue. I had no understanding again till I came to Overeaters Anonymous, and I was twelve step a little bit from somebody that found the solution, found the the, the answer to her problem. And, uh, you know, I had no clue about the physic- the sugar addiction, the, phys- the body addiction with the mental obsession. I was just so happy and so relieved because I really, there was nothing more that I wanted than to put the food down by then because I know I was getting sicker and sicker. I didn't want to die. So, uh, and I remember saying, okay, I'll put it down, but how am I going to live the rest of my life without this? things, the, the substance, this cocaine, this drug that I loved, and I loved the effects of it, you know, once I had it. But I needed to surrender. You know, she did say, Vasa, you need to find a power greater than yourself. Obviously, it hasn't worked for you, what you've done or what I was doing. Now we have to surrender, and I was ready. I was so ready and willing to surrender to the program, to the higher power. I didn't care who I surrendered. I just wanted to stop with this food addiction. And that was just the beginning, step one. I was powerless over the food, and I admitted. I admitted I was powerless. But it was really hard for me to raise my hand when I went to the meetings. I would just raise it halfway up. Time. I'll wrap it up after a while. I raised it all the way up high, you know, and I'm just so grateful that I have found this solution in the big book. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Okay, we have Monica T. followed by Melissa C. 
Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So here we are in the chapter, There is a Solution. Well, it doesn't sound like I'm hearing about solution right now, but in the beginning of the chapter, they gave us great hope, and they told us, yes, there is a solution. But they know us, you know, they know us. So they've been going through all these pages here of trying to explain to me what my problem is. And here... They're saying at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail, no help. You know, I lack soundness of mind when it comes to food. My, I have an alcoholic mind. My mind does not work like other people in this particular area. And I had to think about this you know was this true for me oh boy it was the fact is that most alcoholics for reasons yet obscure we don't know why have lost the power of choice and drink we may not know why but the fact is this is me i have lost power of choice when it comes to drink and no matter how much my desire my determination to put down the food and keep it down, I couldn't do it. Why? Because I needed to understand. I have two issues going on here with my brain, this mental obsession. My thinking is the problem. Number one, my mind tells me a lie, and I believe this lie every single time. And the other issue is I have no memory of the consequences or of the resolutions I just made. We cannot bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. Hey, what about the resolution I made 15 minutes ago when I just got up and said, I'm going to be good today, I'm going to follow my food plan today, and next thing you know, I'm in the food. Completely no powerless over this. And the fact is, I have an alcoholic mind. This is my fact. And thank God, there's a solution, and they are going to tell us that starting in the next page. But they really want to hammer home. What is your problem, Monica? What is your problem? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Okay, Melissa C., followed by Leah S. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, you know, the, the word that really jumped out at me is the, is the lethargia and how, um, you know, like like I was half asleep and or like out of it and um, unable to fight. And that family and friends and people that loved me um, were just like, wake up already, you know, like, and so there were so many lectures that I endured, um, and, and they, you know, were done with wonderful intention, you know, hoping to arouse me, hoping to get me to, you know, look at yourself, you're, you know, you're a pretty girl, you're, you're ruining your body, or, or, you know, what are you doing, you're ruining your health, um, and, and, yeah, the motivation was to wake me up, but, um, you know, it's exhausting when you're walking around with this problem and for years and years and not really knowing what the solution was. And, and so every time I was 
aroused and woken up, um, I was called to do more battle, and that never worked. And so, of course, after a time, I gave up. I couldn't fight it anymore. And, you know, um, and that's such a horrible low place to be when you've reached um, where you just can't even bother caring anymore. You know, for me it was um, I just couldn't look in the mirror anymore. You know, it was just wearing um, stretchy leggings because I couldn't even deal with the thought of buttoning anything anymore. Um, and and not even having the energy to even think about a diet because they weren't working and I was defeated and done. You know, and I, I had a conversation with somebody over the weekend. I hadn't seen him in a while. And he was like, holy crap, Melissa, you really did it. Like, wow, you really made up your mind and you did it. And, you know, I, I, I can't any longer just, like, allow, it makes me feel really good. But I can't sit quietly with comments like that because I am compelled to carry the message. And, you know, I did have to tell this person I have no mind to make up when it comes to food. Um, I really, what I needed was a transformation. I needed everything to change. I needed a new mind. I needed a new set of guiding principles and beliefs. And, you know, um, whether it fell on deaf ears or not, I don't know if it's something this individual needs to hear or whether, um, you know, he can pass it on to someone else. But that's my hope because um, another lecture, you know, to wake me up or to wake up another person so you can make up your mind um, was ineffective. You know, what was effective was the idea that um, a spiritual transformation is the only solution. And I'm um, so glad I have that today. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Leah S., you're up. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Um, so we are on Chapter 2, and it is titled, There is a Solution. And... Um, we're being given examples of all kinds of people that there are. There's the uh, that kind of eater. There's the moderate eater. There's the the the, the one who always eats. The one who who occasionally eats. And where is the solution? Um, the tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. And with me, I was an eater that did not, it did not even affect me. I did, my, my looks was pretty, it was good, I was young, I was, I was vivacious, I was always uh, running and jumping and happy, I was the center of attraction, and then it caught up with me. It caught up with me that I was eating nonstop. And so what do you do when you eat nonstop? You go on a diet. Oh, so you go on a diet. It's not such a bad thing because you're eating finally foods that are going to give you some energy and you're going to make, make you feel a little bit less hazy, a little bit less, less uh, so lethargic. It's going to make you um, super, super, all of a sudden your ner your you're going to see things a little bit better. And that's good because I lost the weight and that was it. So I'm not a compulsive overeater. But time goes on and it 
the tragic situation is that it has already arrived and it's starting to stick to me all the foods and everything else and it's starting to um, my disease is making itself known to me and so what is the solution we are in the solution while going on this diet the gift of desperation and the gift of this fellowship of being able to be carried through the 12 steps to find that solution to go through it thoroughly to understand and be very aware of this is what is happening every day brings you more and more different kinds of situations and my goodness we didn't even we didn't even think about these promises while we're going through the steps and then it's starting to come true and this is like such a remarkable program because there are so many so many things that will happen such good things that will happen and with that i'll pass thank you so much leah okay we have time for three more people Rivka A. Leah M. Okay, I have Rivka A, Leah M. Irini. And Irini. Okay, let's go with those. Go ahead, Rivka A. Thank you so much. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for your service also. Um, Good morning, everyone. My name is Rivka A, uh, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Israel. Um, you know, the consequences, it says, that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. Um, if I'm looking for relief, and of course, I, I've been out of this program um, for many years before finally crawling in, but um, when I was not in this program, um, consequences, you know what, I always believe that the consequences would always be different, maybe not as bad. Um, I could always turn to my antacids. I was taking antidepressants. Um, I knew that when my food got too severe, too chaotic, too serious, I knew I could fall back on fasting. And when I fasted, there was a number I set, a number of days that I set, and it was three days, the max because I was scared I would go over the edge. So, you know, I kept it at three days. And, um, you know, and I always thought that that cleansing period, that was my amends period. <laughs> you know, that was my sort of spirituality and my control, um, it, not acknowledging that I had thinking problems, uh, mental problems, mental twist, mental block, broken thoughts, broken brain, unhealthy um, alternatives, um, you know, I was into altercations with the food. So I put the food down for three days, you know, and that was my cleansing period, which allowed me the privilege of binging full blast after the three days. You know, I felt like I had done my cleansing and, uh, you know, everything was going to be okay now. Um, and I thought that that could happen uh, without any of the consequences, you know, but there I was getting uh, burned again, you know, with this crazy idea that I could control this this whole idea. 
you know. Um, but a mental break in my thinking was not going to help me um, in those mental blank spots. And, uh, and I was not looking to a power greater than myself. Um, I was not willing to admit that I even had a problem, that I was powerless. Um, I figured that my solution was the only and best solution. Uh, I'm so grateful that I did finally have the uh, break in, in uh, my own thinking to get a, a clear understanding, even as minute as it was, to uh, realize that, you know, I needed, I needed to work this program. And I'm grateful for the, the desperation, the gift of desperation that I had. Um, you know, I, I, I'm looking on page 99. Um, let's talk about you. Um, Thank you. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well, regardless of anyone about or anything. The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. And that's what I do today, one day at a time. Thank you so much. Rivka A. Recovered. Thank you, Rivka. Okay, Leah M., you're up. Thank you, Katie. You know, as I listen to the shares this morning and reread the text, you know, it is, it's fascinating. You know, it's fascinating. Um, you know, th- this illness fascinates me. Um, I happen to have it. However, I am recovered. I'm no longer living in this insanity. Uh, thank you, God. Um, I'm actually finding it, you know, certain aspects of the shares, you know, humorous, you know, waking up and how about sticking my hand in a fireplace today? But that is exactly, you know, what I did. And I didn't realize that was was going on. You know, I was well within its grip long before its grip was revealed to me. I just didn't know what was going on. It was like the chains of compulsive overeating were too soft to be felt until they were way, way, way too hard to be broken. But the text, you know, brought it to life to me um, by someone in whom the problem had been solved, that I have a defective mind. I have a mind which kept taking me back to that which was killing me. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, what if I had a kid who repeatedly I found sticking his fingers in uh, a flame on the stove, you know, and watching his, his skin, you know, burn and melt day after day after day after day? I mean, there would be no question that something is wrong with this child. This child needs help. And yet that was something I did day in and day out, suffering, 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 yet still compelled uh, to put my hand in that flame. I just did not learn from the consequences of my behavior. It was as if the pain had no memory. I would stop for a period of time. I stopped thousands of times. Couldn't, couldn't stay stopped. Couldn't stay stopped. It was like I was forgetting to remember, you know. And if I had a bit of premeditation or pre, you know, cognition, um, the obsession of the mind would override it. You know, it would be like I'd be, uh, you know, run over by the obsession of the mind. And I'm not stupid. I may not be the sharpest blade in the drawer, but I'm not stupid. I wasn't ignorant. I wasn't uninformed, you know. Uh, but I could not see what was happening here. Um, and, you know, couldn't muster up enough willpower. Just didn't have it in me. Uh, that's not what's going to take, you know, as a solution. And, you know, why shouldn't I laugh today? 
I'm free today. I no longer live that way today. Um, the text is turning the screws and is creating a crisis, but the solution is right around the corner, and it's not material, it's not physical, it's not human, it's in the fourth dimension, it's beyond materiality, it's in the world of the spirit, and um, the steps are designed to relieve that mental obsession and restore us to sanity. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Okay, Adini M., you're up. Thank you for your service, Katie. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God, always giving credit where credit is due. We're reading about our life here. This is our story. This is why we are all here on this line this morning, because we're identifying with the reading and with each other, and we're feeling the pain, and we're celebrating our recovery. We have an illness. This is harming us and our loved ones. We have a spiritual malady, and we need a spiritual surgeon to change this illness to wellness. Enough with the suffering. It sucked the the life out of me. I was disconnected and dying a slow death inside of me. I needed to do something different in order to become different. From my experience, I exhausted trying to save myself for myself. I needed something more than my own willpower. I needed a power greater than myself that can heal me the sanity, that can set me free from this bondage of self. And the answer is on page 29, a solution is to let go and get connected, open our hearts and minds, and accept spiritual help. Accept and get connected by picking up the spiritual kit. Guys, there's an answer here for us. We are sick and ill, but there's an answer here for us. Thank you, God. Accept and get connected to a power greater than ourselves. Accept help by getting connected to our fellows so we can have this spiritual awakening. My dearest friends, we need to wake up to the truth so the truth can set us free. And what is that truth? The truth is we can't beat it. It has a hold on us. We are being controlled. The truth is we are powerless. We need to surrender to admit that we are indeed for sure without any question or doubt powerless. The lies, the stories that we made up, the excuses that we were concocted, the old tape recorder saying the same thing over and over again. It's okay. One more time. One more bite. Just this once time. This is the tragedy of the obsession of the mind. The truth is we crossed that line a long time ago, and there's no turning back. So let's grow up and admit this, and take responsibility. No more tamper tantrums, no more whining. Let's do something different. Admit I am a real compulsive ovary, and I will never, ever be able to eat like a normal person eats, period. Because the truth is, once I start, I cannot stop. And when I stop, I can't stay stopped. So, yes, the truth hurts but it also sets us free. 
The third tradition is the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Let's put this desire in our hearts with acceptance and surrender, and let's walk the talk of the 12 steps. Thank you, God, for this book. I pass. Thank you so much, Adini. Okay, and thank you to everyone who has shared. Um, Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, Thursday, April 6th, is 9804. That's 9804. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Adini M. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, with great honor, humility, and pleasure. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.